0: Section seven of the Prussian Officer and Other Stories This Librivox recording is in the public domain. The Prussian Officer and Other Stories by D H. Lawrence Daughters of the Vicar Chapters three and four. Chapter three It happened when Miss Mary was twenty three years old, that Mr Lindley was very ill. The family was exceedingly poor at the time, such a lot of money was needed, so little was forthcoming. Neither Miss Mary nor Miss Louisa had suitors what chance had they they met no eligible young men in Aldercross, and what they earned was a mere drop in a void the girls hearts were chilled and hardened with fear of this perpetual cold penury this narrow struggle this horrible nothingness of their lives a clergyman had to be found for the church work it so happened the son of an old friend of mr lindley's was waiting three months before taking up his duties he would come and officiate for nothing the young clergyman was keenly expected he was not more than twenty-seven a master of arts of oxford had written his thesis on roman law he came of an old cambridgeshire family had some private means was going to take a church in northamptonshire with a good stipend and was not married mrs lindley incurred new debts and scarcely regretted her husband's illness but when mr Massey came there was a shock of disappointment in the house they had expected a young man with a pipe and a deep voice but with better manners than Sidney, the eldest of the Lindleys. There arrived instead a small, chétif man, scarcely larger than a boy of twelve, spectacled, timid in the extreme, without a word to utter at first, yet with a certain inhuman self-sureness. "'What a little abortion!' was Mrs. Lindley's exclamation to herself, on first seeing him in his buttoned-up clerical coat and for the first time for many days she was profoundly thankful to god that all her children were decent specimens he had not normal powers of perception they soon saw that he lacked the full range of human feelings but had rather a strong philosophical mind from which he lived his body was almost unthinkable in intellect he was something definite the conversation at once took a balanced abstract tone when he participated there was no spontaneous exclamation no violent assertion or expression of personal conviction but all cold reasonable assertion this was very hard on mrs lindley the little man would look at her after one of her pronouncements and then give in his thin voice his own calculated version so that she felt as if she were tumbling into thin air through a hole in the flimsy floor on which their conversation stood it was she who felt a fool Soon she was reduced to a hardy silence. Still at the back of her mind she remembered that he was an unattached gentleman who would shortly have an income altogether of six or seven hundred a year. What did the man matter if there were pecuniary ease? The man was a trifle thrown in. After twenty-two years her sentimentality was ground away, and only the millstone of poverty mattered to her. So she supported the little man as a representative of a decent income his most irritating habit was that of a sneering little giggle all on his own which came when he perceived or related some illogical absurdity on the part of another person it was the only form of humour he had stupidity in thinking seemed to him exquisitely funny but any novel was unintelligibly meaningless and dull and to an irish sort of humour he listened curiously examining it like mathematics or else simply not hearing in normal human relationship he was not there. Quite unable to take part in simple, everyday talk, he padded silently round the house, or sat in the dining-room looking nervously from side to side, always apart in a cold, rarefied little world of his own. Sometimes he made an ironic remark that did not seem humanly relevant, or he gave his little laugh like a sneer. He had to defend himself and his own insufficiency, and he answered questions grudgingly with a yes or no because he did not see their import and was nervous it seemed to miss louisa he scarcely distinguished one person from another but that he liked to be near her or to miss mary for some sort of contact which stimulated him unknown apart from all this he was the most admirable workman he was unremittingly shy but perfect in his sense of duty as far as he could conceive christianity he was a perfect christian nothing that he realized he could do for any one did he leave undone although he was so incapable of coming into contact with another being that he could not proffer help now he attended assiduously to the sick man investigated all the affairs of the parish or the church which mr lindley had in control straightened out accounts made lists of the sick and needy padded round with help and to see what he could do he heard of mrs lindley's anxiety about her sons and began to investigate means of sending them to cambridge his kindness almost frightened miss mary she honoured it so and yet she shrank from it for in it all mr massey seemed to have no sense of any person any human being whom he was helping he only realised a kind of mathematical working out solving of given situations a calculated well-doing and it was as if he had accepted the christian tenets as axioms his religion consisted in what his scrupulous abstract mind approved of seeing his acts miss mary must respect and honour him in consequence she must serve him to this she had to force herself shuddering and yet desirous but he did not perceive it she accompanied him on his visiting in the parish and whilst she was cold with admiration for him often she was touched with pity for the little padding figure with bent shoulders buttoned up to the chin in his overcoat she was a handsome calm girl tall with a beautiful repose her clothes were poor and she wore a black silk scarf having no furs but she was a lady as the people saw her walking down aldacross beside mr Massey, they said my word miss mary's got a catch did you ever see such a sickly little shrimp she knew they were talking so and it made her heart grow hot against them and she drew herself as it were protectively towards the little man beside her at any rate she could see and give honour to his genuine goodness He could not walk fast or far. "'You have not been well?' she asked, in her dignified way. "'I have an internal trouble.' He was not aware of her slight shudder. There was silence whilst she bowed to recover her composure, to resume her gentle manner towards him. He was fond of Miss Mary. She had made it a rule of hospitality that he should always be escorted by herself or by her sister on his visits in the parish, which were not many but some morning she was engaged then miss louisa took her place it was no good miss louisa's trying to adopt to mr Massey an attitude of queenly service she was unable to regard him save with aversion when she saw him from behind thin and bent-shouldered looking like a sickly lad of thirteen she disliked him exceedingly and felt a desire to put him out of existence and yet a deeper justice in mary made louisa humble before her sister they were going to see mr durant who was paralyzed and not expected to live miss louisa was crudely ashamed at being admitted to the cottage in company with the little clergyman mrs durant was however much quieter in the face of her real trouble how is mr durant asked louisa he is no different and we don't expect him to be was the reply the little clergyman stood looking on they went upstairs the three stood for some time looking at the bed at the gray head of the old man on the pillow the grey beard over the sheet. Miss Louisa was shocked and afraid. "'It is so dreadful,' she said with a shudder. "'It is how I always thought it would be,' replied Mrs. Durant. Then Miss Louisa was afraid of her. The two women were uneasy, waiting for Mr. Massey to say something. He stood, small and bent, too nervous to speak. "'Has he any understanding?' he asked at length. "'Maybe,' said Mrs. Durant. "'Can you hear, John?' she asked loudly the dull blue eye of the inert man looked at her feebly yes he understands said mrs Durant to mr Massey. except for the dull look in his eyes the sick man lay as if dead the three stood in silence miss louisa was obstinate but heavy-hearted under the load of unlivingness it was mr Massey who kept her there in discipline his non-human will dominated them all Then they heard a sound below, a man's footsteps, and a man's voice called subduedly. "'Are you upstairs, mother?' Mrs. Durant started and moved to the door, but already a quick, firm step was running up the stairs. "'I'm a bit early, mother,' a troubled voice said, and on the landing they saw the form of the sailor. His mother came and clung to him. She was suddenly aware that she needed something to hold on to. He put his arms round her and bent over her, kissing her. "'He's not gone, mother.' He asked anxiously, struggling to control his voice. Miss Louisa looked away from the mother and son who stood together in the gloom on the landing. She could not bear it that she and Mr. Massey should be there. The latter stood nervously, as if ill at ease before the emotion that was running. He was a witness, nervous, unwilling, but dispassionate. To Miss Louisa's hot heart it seemed all, all wrong, that they should be there. Mrs. Durant entered the bedroom, her face wet there's miss louisa and the vicar she said out of voice and quavering her son red-faced and slender drew himself up to salute but miss louisa held out her hand then she saw his hazel eyes recognize her for a moment and his small white teeth showed in a glimpse of the greeting she used to love she was covered with confusion he went round to the bed his boots clicked on the plaster floor he bowed his head with dignity how are you dad he said laying his hand on the sheet faltering but the old man stared fixedly and unseeingly the son stood perfectly still for a few minutes then slowly recoiled miss louisa saw the fine outline of his breast under the sailor's blue blouse as his chest began to heave he doesn't know me he said turning to his mother he gradually went white no my boy cried the mother pitiful lifting her face and suddenly she put her face against his shoulder He was stooping down to her, holding her against him, and she cried aloud for a moment or two. Miss Louisa saw his sides heaving, and heard the sharp hiss of his breath. She turned away, tears streaming down her face. The father lay inert upon the white bed. Mr. Massey looked queer and obliterated, so little now that the sailor with his sunburned skin was in the room. He stood waiting. Miss Louisa wanted to die. She wanted to have done. She dared not turn round again to look shall i offer a prayer came the frail voice of the clergyman and all kneeled down miss louisa was frightened of the inert man upon the bed then she felt a flash of fear of mr Massey hearing his thin detached voice and then calmed she looked up on the far side of the bed were the heads of the mother and son the one in the black lace cap with the small white nape of the neck beneath The other, with brown, sun-scorched hair, too close and wiry to allow of a parting, and neck tanned firm, bowed as if unwilling. The great grey beard of the old man did not move. The prayer continued. Mr. Massey prayed with a pure lucidity, that they all might conform to the higher will. He was like something that dominated the bowed heads, something dispassionate that governed them inexorably. Miss Louisa was afraid of him, and she was bound, during the course of the prayer, to have a little reverence for him it was like a foretaste of inexorable cold death a taste of pure justice that evening she talked to mary of the visit her heart her veins were possessed by the thought of alfred durant as he held his mother in his arms then the break in his voice as she remembered it again and again It was like a flame through her, and she wanted to see his face more distinctly in her mind, ruddy with the sun, and his golden-brown eyes, kind and careless, strained now with a natural fear, the fine nose tanned hard by the sun, the mouth that could not help smiling at her. And it went through her with pride to think of his figure, a straight, fine jet of life. He is a handsome lad, said she to Miss Mary, as if he had not been a year older than herself. Underneath was the deeper dread almost hatred of the inhuman being of mr Massey. she felt she must protect herself and alfred from him when i felt mr Massey there she said i almost hated him what right had he to be there surely he has all right said miss mary after a pause he is really a christian he seems to me nearly an imbecile said miss louisa miss mary quiet and beautiful was silent for a moment oh no she said "'Not imbecile. Well, then, he reminds me of a six-months child, or a five-months child, as if he didn't have time to get developed enough before he was born.' "'Yes,' said Miss Mary, slowly. "'There is something lacking. But there is something wonderful in him. And he is really good.' "'Yes,' said Miss Louisa. "'It doesn't seem right that he should be. What right has that to be called goodness?' "'But it is goodness,' persisted Mary. Then she added with a laugh, "'And come, you wouldn't deny that as well!' There was a doggedness in her voice. She went about very quietly. In her soul she knew what was going to happen. She knew that Mr. Massey was stronger than she, and that she must submit to what he was. Her physical self was prouder, stronger than he. Her physical self disliked and despised him. But she was in the grip of his moral, mental being.' and she felt the days allotted out to her. And her family watched. End of chapter 3 Chapter 4 A few days after, old Mr. Durant died. Miss Louisa saw Alfred once more, but he was stiff before her now, treating her not like a person, but as if she were some sort of will in command, and he a separate, distinct will, waiting in front of her. She had never felt such utter steel-plate separation from any one. It puzzled her, and frightened her. What had become of him? And she hated the military discipline. She was antagonistic to it. Now he was not himself. He was the will which obeys set over against the will which commands. She hesitated over accepting this. He had put himself out of her range. He had ranked himself inferior, subordinate to her. And that was how he would get away from her. That was how he would avoid all connection with her, by fronting her impersonally from the opposite camp by taking up the abstract position of an inferior she went brooding steadily and sullenly over this brooding and brooding her fierce obstinate heart could not give way it clung to its own rights sometimes she dismissed him why should he inferior trouble her then she relapsed to him and almost hated him it was his way of getting out of it She felt the cowardice of it—his calmly placing her in a superior class and placing himself inaccessibly apart in an inferior, as if she, the sentient woman who was fond of him, did not count. But she was not going to submit. Dogged in her heart, she held on to him. End of chapters three and four. End of section seven.